You're listening to the Lit Up Lightworker podcast, bringing you fun and soulful interviews with spiritual teachers with the aim of tuning you in and lighting you up with your host, George Lizos. What is self-acceptance and how do we find it? How can we start loving ourselves when all we experienced was self-loathing? What is the difference between authentic and manufactured vulnerability? And how do we safely get out of the spiritual closet? These are just a few of the questions I asked spiritual teacher Jordan Buck in this fun, entertaining, yet deeply profound conversation. I follow Jordan Buck on Instagram for years, and I've always been in awe of his honesty, of his authenticity, and pride for who he is. And I gotta say, I was quite nervous going into this interview, but I loved every minute of it. So this episode is quite longer than usual, but it's so worth it because we go deep into a variety of different topics, including gay spirituality, authenticity, bullying, and comparison on social media. You are going to love it, Lightworker. If you'd like to join me live in one of the recordings of the Lit Up Lightworker podcast, be sure to follow me on Instagram at George Lizos and join my Facebook groups, Your Spiritual Toolkit and Elemental Communication. Enjoy this interview with Jordan Back. I'm so excited to have here with me Jordan Back. Jordan is a life coach, motivational speaker, blogger, and certified yoga and meditation teacher. He has been recognized as one of the most influential teachers on the contemporary spiritual scene. His down-to-earth messages reach a whole new generation of people seeking wisdom and inner peace. The Advocate magazine ranked Jordan as one of the 40 most accomplished leaders under 40. He's a glad media partner, consults with major corporations on LGBTQ plus brand initiatives, and served as co-chair for the Brooklyn Community Pride Center's 2017 Leadership Awards, raising over $100,000 for at-risk LGBTQ plus people. Jordan, welcome to the Lead Up Lightworker podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be having a, a good, chill, informative, hopefully helpful conversation with you. Yes, me too. Jordan, I've been following you on Instagram for many years right now. And when I think of you and what you stand for, I think of self-acceptance. Your Instagram post specifically, the one that was most memorable for me, is your post where you wear a rainbow crown during gay pride. And mm-hmm. in that post, you wrote about the significance of wearing crowns, what they symbolize, and what that means for accepting and owning who you are. So I wanted to ask you, what is your own journey of self-acceptance? And why do you think self-acceptance is so important? I think what's interesting about my story, especially as a gay person, or as I like to say, a queer person, is that what makes it interesting is that I was raised by very cosmopolitan progressive parents who had gay friends, their best friends are gay men to this day. So when I was growing up, I, you know, was just a little boy, like bouncing on the lap of my gay quote unquote uncle, you know, Mm. we still call them our uncles and, 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 and uh, being, you know, tossed around in the air playfully by his husband, 
uh, of now over 40 years. Wow. And so I had uh, it modeled to me from a very young age that being gay was okay. And so I came out really at the age of 12 when I began to recognize that the impulses I had, the sexual impulses I had felt since I can remember, even as a small child, that I was attracted to the same sex. Um, as soon as I started to recognize, oh, that's gay, I'm gay. I put the two and two together. Mm-hmm. And um, right around the time that I was doing that, uh, perfect timing, my mom said, hey, Jordan, do you think you're gay? And I was sitting on the kitchen counter and I said, yes. And then we hopped in the car and uh, blasted Tina Turner and went <laughs> to get me uh, sour candy at the, at the corner store. And that experience means that I haven't had to unlearn so many of the fearful thoughts that queer people around the world think of themselves. What that allowed me to do, that freedom, allowed me to explore my other passions and my other interests. My parents didn't care that I was gay. My father used that funny line, uh, I don't care if you're, you know, black, white, pink, or purple, mm-hmm. uh, which is like such a dad line yeah. to you. Um, uh, but what that meant was, I, I don't care how you identify or what you do, as, as long as you're smart and you have something to add to the conversation. So my view of myself really was always based in what am I adding to the conversation? How am I contributing? Am I, am, am I using my intellectual capacity? Am I, am I extending myself in the world in a way that, that elevates other people? And I've learned in my own life thus far that to the degree that I do that is the degree to which I feel a sense of, uh, of great self-esteem. If you want self-esteem, ask yourself how you can extend yourself into the world in a meaningful way. And then you'll really, in my own spiritual beliefs, I actually think uh, I, I, I don't identify so much with my body. And, and, you know, the fact that I'm gay or the fact that I'm tall or the fact that whatever. And to the degree to which those, any of those qualities, physical qualities, are privileges, then I just see them as a responsibility even more so to, to uh, extend myself into the world in a way that's impactful. Wow, just listening about your story. First of all, I'm just in awe and a little bit jealous that you had so much acceptance from your parents and from society and from your surrounding environment while you were growing up. Because I, I grew up in Cyprus, which is a very small community. It's an island in the Mediterranean. And mm-hmm. at the time while I was growing up, uh, homosexuality was a crime. It was gay people were considered to be pedophiles and criminals. So there was no way I could and come out and just have my parents or society accept me. And that's true for so many people, as you just said, Mm -hmm. around the world, growing up in a very suppressive environment where they can't um, really own and um, allow themselves to express their authenticity into the world. And I feel that 
you having had the opportunity to find that self-acceptance from such a young age with a supportive family environment, it sort of gave you the ultimate uh, definition and feeling of what self-acceptance feels like that you were then able right now through your work to impart on so many people because you stand as the embodiment and the example, at least in my eyes, <laughs> of self-acceptance. But I wanted to go to my second question, which is related to that one, in the sense of so many people growing up in a community where they don't feel accepted. What is your advice to coming out of the spiritual closet? And why is coming out coming important? Out spiritual closet or coming, or coming out as gay? Okay, I'm talking about closets in general. So the gay closet, the spiritual closet, or any other oh, closet. Yeah. Wait, because well, it, they're it, all related. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's really, it's, it's, uh, again, it's interesting, I think, my story. Because, first of all, at, at the time, maybe when I was 12, uh, uh, it was unusual to come out at that age. But we're okay. seeing more and more people coming out around the world at younger ages. This is because of incredible advancements in, in mm. our global society. The fact that there's programming on Netflix and on television and on YouTube and that, ki that youths are not just using their smartphones to burn their brains, as mm. some people say, but some, some youths are, are reaching out and connecting with like-minded people that make them feel that they're okay and that they're not isolated. I received messages from uh, just in the past week from Nigeria. Uh, I receive a lot of messages actually from Africa, from people living in places that are uh, quite, uh, let's say, uh, not socially progressive, certainly, maybe even socially regressive because of the insane religiosity, which by the way, was brought over by white Christians from America to mm. places like Uganda to spread, to re really just spread fear and, 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 and separation uh, under the guise of, of, of spirituality, which is just, which is uh, very upsetting. And, and, it, and it makes me, it empowers me to, to be even more convicted in my view that God, however you conceive of him, if you call it love and light, great, or the universe, I call it God, and I have no problem calling it God, uh, that, that God uh, created me. And mm -hmm. then if you have a problem with my sexuality, uh, that's, uh, that, that's, uh, that's between me and my creator and you and your creator. So I don't care. I, I don't care what you think about my hom homosexuality. I, I, I don't care. Um, my, my faith in, in God is too strong. And receiving these letters from people uh, who are saying, I can't come out or else I, I would lose everything. And I say to them, then don't come out. Don't be stupid. Mm. Uh, I, I think coming out is one of the most incredible spiritual processes. And whether it's coming out as a gay person, coming out with any uh, even shame story, uh, whether you're an addict or, uh, and everyone listening knows what it's like to uh, come out as something or to want to come out as something, to want to be more honest and truthful about who you are. I tell people not to be stupid about it. Yeah. There's so much fever and celebration around coming out 
that it's, uh, I think a lot of people feel guilt and shame if they haven't yet come out. And so I tell people, don't be stupid. If you're in Nigeria, as this boy who asked me this question is, and you're being supported by your parents, you're living with your parents, you know they would kick you out, you know you would be uh, on your own and you don't have the resources to support you, then you don't have to come out, don't feel pressured. What I tell people about coming out is something very simple. And of course, I believe very true. And that is, if you are lying about who you are, you will never live the life you're meant to live. Yes. So, so that's true. So if a person doesn't want to come out, or they don't feel safe to come out, uh, don't come out. Just know you can't live the life you're born to live if you're lying about who you are. So then how, how do you practically speaking solve this problem? I encourage this boy to look toward, the, toward bigger cities, to set a goal to move to a bigger city where there's likely to be more gay people, where oh. there's likely to be some kind of community um, rather than this uh, small township that he's in. So he can set his goal to move toward a, a larger city. Um, you, can, you can set a goal in this global culture now to, make enough, to have enough resources to move cities. That can be a legitimate goal. Yeah. There's a way through every block. And the universe is always supporting us. So no matter what we think is facing us in terms of something scary and fearful, it's okay. There's a way through every block. Breathe. And you can ask the universe for signs and for guidance and for support. If we knew how much divine help was around us at all times, uh, we, would, we would never be afraid. I love what you said about coming out because the way I understand it from what you said, coming out is it's also important to come out to ourselves in a way because when we get to accept ourselves, then that is something because we have a relationship with ourselves, an authentic, true relationship with ourselves. What uh, I experienced growing up is what, um, that I, I wasn't able to accept myself. I was keeping everything inside and therefore lying to myself and making the first step to coming out of my own gay closet to myself was my first step uh, of confidence to be able to start coming out moving forward. Now, yeah. When I decided to come out of the spiritual closet or the gay closet and I decided to learn to love and accept myself, I realized I didn't know how because nobody teaches us how to love ourselves. And we, um, if we spent our lives being bullied and bullying ourselves, self-love and acceptance can feel like such a foreign concept to so many people. So what do you think are some practical processes or practices that we can use to start accepting and loving ourselves when we don't even know what self-love or acceptance is? Oh, uh, exercise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did not expect I, that, I, but I, I'm intrigued. I'm a bit of a rebel. I, I don't think people know that about me. I'm a bit of a rebel and a provocateur, just a bit. Um, I say that because if you are, if you haven't exercised your body with my coaching clients, for example, mm -hmm. I don't let people complain to me unless they've exercised for at least 20 minutes. <laughs> I love it. They've broken a sweat that day. 
because so much of our anxiety, a lot of our anxiety is pent up energy and it doesn't have anywhere to go. And where you don't want it to go is into your fear mind. And then your fear mind has a lot of energy. So a very easy way to combat a lot of physical uh, and mental anxiety and stress is by breaking a sweat. So I don't mean turn into a gym rat and become obsessed with your body. Mm. I'm saying break a sweat. And that's a good, that's a good, good rule to live by is you won't give yourself the right to complain if you haven't broken a sweat, if you can do so, if you're able-bodied, so to speak. And that's, that's a huge thing that really can shift the course of your day to wake up and break a sweat. I take cold showers. That also really helps with just my, my viewpoint and, and my joy. And if we can learn to accept our joy without guilt, we can learn to accept ourselves a little bit better. So find things that make you truly joyful. And when it comes to spiritual practices, notice which things you're doing are increasing your sense of your sense of joy and hope and which things you're doing that are decreasing your sense of joy and hope. Things that decrease your sense of joy and hope are broadly speaking, things that we kind of already know to be um, unhealthy for us and that studies show are unhealthy for us. Um, so, but when you start thinking of, of things, habits, for example, porn, masturbation, alcohol, uh, other drugs, I, I would never want to shame someone for doing something that in the moment feels good. But all you have to do is, is make the decision for yourself, whether some habits or behaviors that you're engaging in are ultimately bringing you a sense of elevation and joy and hope, mm. or whether they're, they might be taking it away. Mm. So break a sweat, take a cold shower if you're brave, and uh, I just ask yourself the question, what's bringing me hope and joy and elevation? And then when you're feeling hopeful and joyful and elevated, uh, you find yourself surrounded by people who are hopeful, joyful, and elevated. You attract experiences into your life that are hopeful, joyful, and elevated. And then you can accept yourself. It's hard to accept yourself when you're not living the life you know you could be living. I love how embodied your, your advice is, like literally embodied. Now, I want to talk about vulnerability. I love how comfortable you are in being vulnerable. On social media, particularly, you share your truth, you share your uh, raw and authentic self and opinion about things and about the world. Now, in a world of picture-perfect Instagram feeds, why mm. is it important to be vulnerable? And how does this relate to the conversation we've been having so far about accepting ourselves and self-love? What is the benefit of vulnerability? Well, I, 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 I'll say this because we're talking about social media and vulnerability. So there's a difference between vulnerability with your therapist in mm -hmm. a psychotherapist's office. There's difference uh, between vulnerability with your, with your romantic partner or partners. And there's a difference between so vulnerability as a public figure. And those of us who have uh, Instagram accounts, it's funny these days, mm. everyone, I think everyone's a public figure. Yeah. We are consciously feeding imagery and words 
about who we are out into the into the into the world into the public and so i i feel quite strongly that people we all need to be just taught and to know parents should teach their children we should learn in school that social media which isn't going away anytime soon and it's really affecting people's lives uh, in many ways positively and in many ways negatively that that people are curating their lives Mm. social media so if someone wants to post a photo of themselves that's filtered that makes them feel good about themselves no one should shame anyone from doing that good for them but if you know looking at that that this is just this is someone's conscious curation of moments in their life they want to share then it changes the lens through which you view things. Instead of comparing yourself with someone who's, you know, created shadows to make their abs look better Mm. or, you know, uh, uh, made their waist a little slimmer or something or put on one of those skin, uh, what's it called? Uh, The beautifying filters. Yeah. Yes, beautifying filters. Instead of comparing yourself to that, you say, oh, this is what they want to share and you don't internalize it as much or or compare yourself because i mean comparison is the thief of joy yes it will just take away your joy when it comes to vulnerability i've also seen a rise especially in the spiritual and wellness community in a sort of what i call oversharing and that's my own personal judgment mm. of it um, and judgment not being negative, that's my, that's my opinion, I should say, of a certain oversharing where people want to take photos of themselves looking horrible, and they do, and they would agree, and actually they say it in their caption, I look horrible, but this is, you know, the life of a mom, or, <laughs> or, yeah. or, or like, you know, makeup free, which is a great, but, you know, it's this strange, almost politicizing, of of beauty which i don't like which is if you don't find me beautiful with with everything hanging out and and looking puppy faced and and unwell if you don't find me beautiful then you have a problem that's a constant that that's a uh, something i want to just call out in my mm. community so that it stops so so that people can understand it a little bit better my vulnerability I, has never come from a place of oversharing or seeking validation for other people. Uh, when I am, I think w- w- what you're saying is vulnerable, I'm doing it so I can connect with other people so that I can speak to the truth that's in every single one of us. I, I don't like glamorizing messiness. <laughs> you can tell I, I, I have a strong view on this there's kind of a what's the term for it i would say like i call it i call it manufactured vulnerability because it's become like this formula for a successful post on instagram like if you share something personal you're going to get more likes so people started using it consciously and they're making things up sometimes or over dramatizing yeah. situations yeah. to get likes and I, attention i i can sniff out uh, manipulation very easily yeah. and i don't like it and and i think it's actually the antithesis of vulnerability and authenticity yes 
to be saying, okay, I'm going to post a horrible picture of myself and say <laughs> that I have horrible days, but you know, but I, I but I know I'm still beautiful because I know that will pull on people's heartstrings and I'll get a lot mm. of likes. Yeah, um, don't do that. Uh, if that's genuinely your feeling, then by all means. And but I feel like people on social media can feel your energy, especially if you followed for someone followed someone for for some time. Uh, you can feel the their real energy through their posts. I just this idea of like being adorably maladjusted. <laughs> I don't. And so something you can ask yourself if you're questioning, well, how do I know if it's like good to share this vulnerable part or if it's oversharing? Uh, what what I've done, which works well for me, and I hope it will help some other people, is asking yourself very simply. Am I sharing my mess or am I sharing my message? And I would, mm. I would advise people, especially those who have a growing audience and who know you're making an impact, mm. to ask that question very seriously. Am I sharing my mess or am I sharing my message? And I'm, I'd, I'd rather not share my mess until it becomes my message. And each of us can tune in with ourselves and sense when that is true. That's a great rule of thumb to have to judge before we post anything on social media to, to, to ascertain whether we're coming from a truly authentic place or whether we're manufacturing our authenticity. Thank you for this. Now, I want to shift you know, gears. That's a good, I do have to say, George, that's, a, yeah. that's an amazing term, manufactured. Manufactured vulnerability, yeah. <laughs> manufactured vulnerability. It's now I bet people who are listening you'll scroll around and you'll, you'll see it, especially in the spiritual and wellness community. Yeah, so and, much. And I, and I think if you look good, if, you, if you're feeling sexy, <laughs> go post a sexy selfie and tell people, I'm feeling good about myself today and this filter just made me feel even sexier. <laughs> Loving it. Than, than, than some ridiculous takedown of people who just want to, feel good about themselves and so want to post a great photo that was probably one of 50 that they took no problem go have fun feel good about yourself so yeah really connecting with our feeling then and then allowing that feeling to inspire what's coming forth yeah i do have to say this though yeah some of the, the people i love following are people who happen to be beautiful people yes you know my friend said the other day She's one of the most brilliant people I know, and you can sit down with her and she will, I mean, you give her a glass of wine and this woman is just spouting the most <laughs> incredible facts about she's an art historian and she is just so brilliant that, she, that every conversation I have with her, I know will be an intellectual one. But she says the other day, very calmly, my other friend was saying, I can't believe you watch that show, whatever show it was. It's so not like interesting or smart. And she goes, I just love watching beautiful people like talk and move around. And I, and I was like, that's, owning, the, that's it. owning it. Yeah. And, it's, it's, and so some of the greatest accounts I follow are of beautiful people. I love watching beautiful people. I, I love watching beautiful people who have a, a joie de vivre, yeah. a, a, an effervescent way of living. It, that to me, like the model Christy Brinkley, her account and my sister and I send it back and forth because she's in her 60s and just radiates warmth and kindness 
And she, yeah, she happens to be beautiful. And so I love accounts like that. And, and not all of my social media followings need to be deeply intellectual, have deep intellectual rigor or extreme vulnerability. They can just provide me with a little spark of joy in the middle of the day. And I don't um, need to feel ashamed about it. Yeah, there's so much judgment sometimes within the spiritual community as to what being spiritual means. Like in the same way, I love watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Like it, it relaxes me. I have fun. I like uh, escape a little bit. But then sometimes I catch myself like, maybe I shouldn't share about this on social media. But then I'm like, why not? It's part of who I am. It's part of my authentic self as well, which is what you are saying. You can't call yourself an intellectual person if you isolate yourself from society and from yes. pop culture and from the zeitgeist. So every time, you know, I, I'm a housewives of New York person. I, oh. I, I, haven't <laughs> I, I, I do, I'm doing it with an underlying desire to get in touch with. And, you know, when I'm listening to the Drake album and reading the lyrics online as I listen to the whole album, I, I'm trying to tune in to the zeitgeist yes tune in to the to the social energy that's moving through the the world right now and pop I called culture you market research market research for life coaching practice <laughs> market research that's not all too hard to do because it's kind of entertaining at the same time but then you can think about how the world is thinking and moving right now yes. you don't have to agree with it but it helps build up your um your muscles of of critique yes and of uh potential alternatives and solutions i think yeah god i do the same thing i used to like growing up in my in my teenage years i used to and dreaming of becoming a life coach back then i was watching um sex in the city and all the reality tv shows and i was calling them my market research i'm glad i wasn't the only one <laughs> god i don't know where my life would be today if it weren't for sex in the city carrie bradshaw was an inspiration for me yeah, it's, for sure. It still is for me that, to this day. Um, yeah. Okay, so Jordan, shifting gears a little bit into an LGBTQ plus topic. So mm -hmm. as you said earlier, and I agree as well, LGBTQ plus people are born this way. Why do you think the gay soul chooses to be born different? Well, um, well I don't know, uh, but I can make some guesses it could be that we are, you know, no one knows this, this figure. It would be very difficult to get the exact figure of how many gay people are, are, are being born. I think that there is an incredible blending of spiritual energies and possi possibly brain systems within queer people. And that it is balancing the energy of the planet. I've long thought that I, there's no proof for it. Some people might be outraged or say it's ridiculous. But let's say, you know, there was a figure at, at one point as high as 10% of the world's population is gay. Let's say, make that more conservative and say it's, you know, 5%. Well, that suddenly uh, changes the, the balance of energies on the planet. Uh, of course, today, in today's culture, I'm very careful about using words like male and female, yeah. masculine and feminine, because they're so politicized, which is um, horrible, that we've moved from a time where you can have vigorous uh, debate with people and walk away with just as much respect for them 
even if they don't see eye to eye or use the language that you prefer. Uh, nowadays, it's, it's, it's tantamount to ab abusing someone. And so, unfortunately, it stifles a lot of conversation. Just yesterday, I was speaking with someone who said they're they want to help somehow uh, the transgender community, but it has frightened them so much, the policing of, of language, the social policing of language, that um, he doesn't know how to approach people. And on some level, it's, it, it strikes fear into him. It scares him. I get what you're talking about. Um, I'm watching this um, series on Netflix right now called Dear White People. So mm -hmm. it's, I love it. It's so funny. Oh, so you, so you know the series. I think it, it's a similar kind of thing. They're talking about this new terminology that's coming up, like, for example, um, male, female, non-binary. Then we have the differentiation between gender with sex and sexuality, three completely different things and all these different kind of combinations that there could exist. And then um, so many people want to help, but they're afraid, as you just said, of helping because they don't know the right terminology. and. It's a crisis. It's vigilant tribalism. Yeah. People want to split up into different tribes with different identities. No, you can't come in here. Yes, you can. Only you can come in here. You can't have this. You can't participate in this conversation. You have to sit down and shut up. Mm. Uh, and I suggest that if anyone finds that sort of language in, 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 a, in a particular group of people or in a discussion, should say, I will not you want me to sit down and shut up, I will do neither, I will walk away. Mm. And you won't have the benefit of the possibility of changing my mind. Because to tell anyone to sit down and shut up and listen, even now we know a child, when you tell a child you will always sit down and shut up and listen, that's not how human psychology, I mean, human psychology will show that, that that's a highly ineffective way to start a dialogue with people. Um, and I just think as, as someone who is very, very, very queer, I consider myself very <laughs> queer. Uh, I have always felt the way I feel. Uh, I'm not changing anytime soon. I believe I'm here. My creator put me here and put me in this body with my um, sexual orientation. But I, I, I will say this, when I was a child, I desperately wanted to be a, a, a girl. And I would go into my sister's bedroom and put on a t her, her little black tutu, which God, I love that fucking thing. Uh. And I wanted to be a girl desperately. And I cried many tears in my very young years because I wanted to be a girl. Mm. I felt like I, I was a girl. I identified with all the females in my life far more than I did with the males in my life. I, I, I wanted to be a girl. And uh, when I started, you know, around the age of say 13 or 14 to read spiritual literature and to understand that I am not a body, I am free, that it's, it's, it's high, it's possible. I, I believe it's true that my soul chose this body in this lifetime. Yeah. Um, my feelings just naturally began to change as my as my knowledge changed of how kind of the world works and reincarnation works. Uh, I, my mind just began to change. And then I started to be like, holy shit, man. I'm a man. This is kind of cool. I was like, and it's, it, it's an extra plus that I like guys too. 
So I can sort of like, it's interesting. It's we can, we're all role playing as RuPaul yeah. says, you know, <laughs> what does he say? What's the line? I am not a fan of that show. <laughs> not not I, yet, at least. I well, I think RuPaul is one of our one of the greatest uh, or and most or most popular spiritual teachers today. Oh, people just don't know what it. he's doing. Uh, people just don't know he's kind of a Trojan. <laughs> he's coming in with a drag show, and you leave with wisdom. But but he says, you know, you're born and you're basically we're all in drag. Mm. These bodies are just drag. So if you want to perform. Uh, as a male, perform as a male, you want to perform as a female, perform as a female. This is my story. And it's not the story of everyone else, nor do I feel that everyone else has to follow the same path that I have. That would be really a bland, boring world. Uh, but I hope that in sharing my story, it might uh, help someone who, who has felt similarly in the past, that I, I'm happy to, to perform in whatever body I chose coming to this planet. Um, happy to perform out people's ideas of who they think I am. I don't take it seriously. It's, mm. it's not who I am. Who I am is my soul and the love that I, that I give and receive. I love this. And speaking about tribalism and uh, mm. identifying in different things. Um, after, after moving from Cyprus to London and then living in the UK for seven years and engaging into the gay mainstream co uh, community, I, yeah. I didn't ha it wasn't the most positive experience for me, the same experience as I would uh, expect. There was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of bullying. There was a lot of homonormativity within the LGBTQ plus community, which was surprising to me. Now, thinking about it and meditating on it, the way I understood it then, I understand it now, is that we've been judged collectively and rejected for so many years that we are instinctively programmed to be on edge constantly. So we get triggered easily and therefore we get very defensive. In your experience, have you had these, um, these experiences of homonormativity and judgment within the gay community? And oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. When I came out as gay, people were like, and? Like, wh wh why are you interrupting me? I'm watching TV. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, that was my coming out experience, which I think uh, is, is predictive of what will happen in the future. Um, it mm. won't be that big of a deal to come out as gay. Yes. And so uh, that's why I kind of like my story. I kind of like the way the universe set it up for me uh, because now I understand like what it's like, like to be a modern progressive gay person mm. uh, is that I'm not, you know, held down by what society is thinking of me. Cause if, if someone's like, your being gay is wrong. I'm like, I just don't respect your, your, your intellect. Uh, and so, um, um, but in the rare case of like a religious discussion that can sometimes interest me, like why people, uh, but that's another story. Yeah. But basically my spiritual coming out, uh, when I moved to New York at 18 years old and I was the last person to leave any party, I, <laughs> love fun. I love meeting new people. And, and so that's how the crew, as I'll call it in New York, you know, all like it's a small gay world in New York city, believe it or not. 
Um, that's how the people I feel like came to know me. It's like always at this party, always at this event. And then suddenly when I come out preaching, basically, is what they saw. They were like, what the hell? Mm. What the hell? And then came the, who does he think he is? Who do you think you are, Oprah? And the viciousness that later ensued was like nothing I, I'd ever experienced in my life. I was bullied as a, as a kid because I was feminine and running around, prancing around, getting a doctor's note so I didn't have to do gym class. Uh, I did the so same I, thing. I never did gym class and I always got 100 out of 100 because I had an excuse. I went to the like, music room to sing. <laughs> for me, it was I was at the nurse's office. I was best friend with the nurse. You No, I'm not playing ball. Definitely not. Uh, so like I, so I was bullied as a kid and when yeah. you're a kid, you're so much more sensitive, but as an adult to be bullied by the very community that you thought that you would yes. find refuge in yes. is a bizarre thing that, let me tell you something, people, so many queer people have expressed this exact idea, concept mm. and sentiment to me and told me how it's really disillusioned them. In fact, you can Google a, a radio show, and, and this isn't to spread negativity. This is to uh, illuminate a very real problem within our community. Uh, I did a radio show on Sirius XM right when I was beginning to, to blog and to write and to speak and to coach. And I thought that they were bringing me on, uh, and it was a gay show, I thought they were bringing me on because they appreciated what I was doing. And they brought me on to mock me and to make fun of me and to sort of uh, argue everything that I was saying. And all I was saying was, I want to bring a sense of joy and illumination and grace into gay people's personal lives. And, and they tried to take me down. Mm. Uh, and it was this interesting experience where I, I said, wow, I can't believe, aren't we here to support each other? Yeah. Aren't we here to support each other? And uh, one thing I think my parents never taught, taught me by modeling it, by not modeling it, they taught they didn't teach me the mechanism of jealousy and comparison. My parents always said, and this is what I will do for my children, and it's what I do around all of my friends. When I see someone who's more beautiful than I am, who is making more money than I am, who's more at peace than I am, I look at them and I say, um, that's amazing for them. I want that. That's amazing for them. That like they they inspire me. They don't bring me down. So even you know some people listening may not feel that they may feel like comparison is a huge problem. But if you start getting into the mantra of not you don't deserve that, but rather mentally affirming, I love that. I love that in you. You inspire me. Um, that will change things. But in the gay community, it's a very very a, a pernicious problem. Uh, I remember reading in high school, the author James Baldwin wrote, uh, what the oppressor does to you 
if the oppressor does it to you long enough and effectively enough, you begin to do to yourself. Yes, indeed. So that's, that's why we go to therapy. That's why we read self-help books is to, as Carl Jung said, uh, make the unconscious conscious. Mm. Sometimes we're unconsciously acting out and behaving. We're unconsciously replicating on other people uh, what hurt us. Uh, because we feel that's almost our only desperate way to 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 impact, to make an impact. So yeah, it's a problem. Uh, but that's why you you stand your ground, know who you are, and don't let anyone else tell you who you are. And you and, gave and, us a perfect recipe for combating that in the sense that when you when we look at someone that triggers us, just be appreciative of who they are and just seek to find that within us. Oh yeah, I mean, if someone tr like the way I, I see it, and I'm I, I will say I'm, I'm I enjoy looking at my triggers mm. constantly. So whenever something triggers me, I immediately go, "What is this? What is this showing me inside myself?" And then when you start realizing, "Oh, that person's triggering me," because they're reflecting what I feel is a shame or a weakness in many cases, not in all. But when you do discover those moments where you go, oh, that person's triggering me because they're acting like I used to act 15 years ago before I became, I, 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 I got myself together, then you suddenly have a wash of compassion, uh, not over that person only, but over yourself as well, yeah. who you used to be and and the, the weakness and or the shame that, that you're still still struggling with yeah beautiful jordan thank you so much you shared so much with us i feel like i can talk to you for hours thank you so much for all your your presence first of all because we teach via our presence and seeing your instagram every single day you just inspire me and you inspire so many with so much light and so much truth and thank you so much for giving us practical processes that we can all use to start having a conversation with ourselves and coming into our authenticity more and more. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. I'm honored that you had me on. Thanks, George. Thank you for listening to the Lit Up Lightworker podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at George Lizos to grab your free Lightworker survival guide and catch the next live episode.